Hey everybody, Doug here. This episode of The War on Cars is sponsored by Cleverhood, which makes great rain gear and outerwear for people who walk and bike. Now I was hoping I could stroll around my neighborhood in the rain to demonstrate just how awesome the new Cleverhood Rover rain cape is. Unfortunately, we haven't had any rain lately, so... Yeah, I am standing in my shower. And, um, yeah, oh wow, this thing is great. I am staying totally dry. It's really comfortable. And the uh, best thing is my microphone is not getting wet. So check it out. Listeners of The War on Cars can now receive 20% off the purchase of anything in the Cleverhood store. Just visit cleverhood.com slash waroncars, enter code waroncars, all one word, and get your 20% off. Again, that's cleverhood.com slash waroncars. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to The War on Cars. This is Sarah Goodyear. Maybe it's just pandemic claustrophobia and the absolute meltdown that's happening across every aspect of American society. But lately, I've been thinking a lot about Paris. Alors, Paris, les croissants, la tour Eiffel, l'amour. Quand on partait de bon matin, quand on partait sur les chemins... The hundreds of miles of bike lanes. Ah, c'est magnifique. Okay, hold up. This is not Emily in Paris. We don't want to get carried away with some kind of rose-colored view of the city of light. Paris has plenty of problems. Transport strikes, police brutality, not to mention a surge in bike theft since the pandemic made getting around by vélo even more popular. But Paris does have a mayor. Anne Hidalgo, who is committed to a complete transformation of the city's streets and public spaces. Hidalgo was first elected in 2014, and since then she has taken multiple concrete actions to get cars off the streets and make the city's air cleaner. Her administration has continued to remove cars from the banks of the Seine, building on an earlier mayor's initiative and permanently replacing riverside highways with parks and paths for biking and pedestrians even in the face of stiff opposition and legal challenges from motorists. Under Hidalgo, Paris has invested 150 million euros in improving bicycle infrastructure and encouraging cycling. Since the pandemic shut the city down for the first time in March, her office has added more than 30 miles of temporary bike lanes that are now slated to become permanent, including on the Rue de Rivoli, one of the city's most iconic thoroughfares, which used to be completely devoted to cars. We heard in March from a listener in Paris, Cécile, about how the shutdown was affecting streets in the city. She recently sent us an update on how things are going now. Hello, it's once again Cécile from Paris. I spoke with my parents who also live in Paris and regularly use their e-bikes in the city and the suburbs. They agreed with me that there are a lot more bikes in the streets. Therefore, there's this mutual habituation. Cars are more careful. A lot of bike paths have been built since March. We call them Corona paths. Um, they were temporary things that got permanent after the first lockdown was over in May. Also, a biking association put up signs along bike paths that were following some metro lines to help subway users switch to biking. It was very useful. 
The fact that there are more bikes now also highlights the areas where biking is complicated, like around the edges of the city to get into the suburbs. In most places, you have to bike under the highway ring and across access roads. The area is not made for bikes. But apart from that, the new bike paths are twice as large as before, and more and more streets are limited to 30 kilometers per hour, so that's 18 miles per hour. So you can bike in the middle of the streets with your e-bike without feeling like you're annoying the cars behind you. It's way safer. Mary Dalgo was re-elected in June on a platform of continuing these transformations. Her administration recently announced that it will be removing 50% of the city's 70,000 on-street car parking spaces and working with citizens to use that space for people. How do they do it? To find out, I got in touch with Krzysztof Nasztowski, Hidalgo's deputy mayor for transport and public space from 2014 to 2020, who is now in charge of the city's initiatives to increase green space and biodiversity within Paris. We'll get to that interview in a minute. But first, if you want to support the war on cars, please consider making a contribution via Patreon. We really couldn't produce the podcast without your help. Please head on over to thewaroncars.org, click Become a Patreon Supporter, and sign up today. You can start at just $2 a month, and you'll get stickers, access to premium episodes, and even a handwritten thank you note from one of us. Okay, now let's get to my talk with Krzysztof Nasztowski. So my colleagues and I uh, have been talking about wanting to talk to someone in Paris about the transportation and public space initiatives that you have there because you've done such amazing work in the past few years. So just a few questions for our listeners. What do you see as your major achievements in transforming the transportation infrastructure and public space in Paris in the last few years? Uh, well, first of all, uh, thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy also to to share my, my experience with you. I would say that certainly the, the main project we, we, we had, uh, we, we brought these last few years uh, was the pedestrianization of the right bank of the River Seine which was uh, formerly an expressway. It was uh, an expressway built uh, in the 60s and uh, bringing uh, almost 400,000 cars per day in the center of the city, bringing also noise and air pollution. And in 2016, we switched it to a pedestrian zone, an area of uh, more than uh, uh, 3.3 kilometers, which is now a new park, like a a small central park of uh, almost uh, five hectares in the center of the city. And uh, now you have pedestrians, you have uh, cyclists, you have joggers, you have people with their children playing. So it's a, it's a big transformation. And maybe this is uh, the, the project we can uh, certainly be uh, most proud of uh, what we brought uh, in the last past years in Paris. It was um, a huge transformation, yes, of course, but it was also a, a huge struggle uh, because we had, of course, some opponents. We went to the court, we lost the first time, then we uh, we won the second time, and definitely. And uh, so now it is definitely a, a new uh, park uh, for the city and a, a new area for pedestrians and, uh, and just for people. And uh, we really uh, appreciate that. 
is that the main opposition you've had or what has the opposition been for, for instance, uh, turning some of the streets over to bicycles or, you know, the other measures you've had? How is it an organized opposition? And also what powers does the city have in terms of can the city government decide this is what we want to do and we're going to do it? Do you consult with the local communities, the neighborhoods? What's the process? Yes, the, the resistances came from our political opponents, uh, the conservatives, and they, they went to the court. And also uh, the Car Drivers Association. Uh, and together they applied for a, a memorandum against uh, this measure and this pedestrianization, telling that uh, it will bring more uh, air pollution and more congestion in the city. And uh, despite of uh, this uh, mobilization of our opponents, uh, we had the support of 60% of uh, the, the citizens. And it was also a measure that we put on our political platform uh, during the elections. So the people who voted in majority for us were uh, for that measure. So we were just implementing uh, what we have announced during the, the campaign. And uh, during all the three or four years of uh, resistances and, and fight to, to, uh, to, to have uh, this pedestrianization, we still had the support of the majority of the people. Despite of the, the campaigns uh, with, unfortunately, lies uh, and uh, uh, fake news that were brought also by our opponents. So it shows that there is a strong social demand of the citizens to have more spaces for life, more spaces to breathe, uh, to to have more uh, livable cities. Also, the the streets uh, are not just channels uh, to bring just cars and motorized traffic from a point A to a point B. They are also places to live, and that is also a strong social demand that we have today. And no one uh, would propose today to come back uh, to the former situation. So. It was a struggle during three or four years, but at last we won and we are very happy of that, of course. And in June this, um, this year, the mayor who, who brought this decision was uh, brilliantly re-elected. So it shows also that it's not just a measure that uh, was brought just by a minority, but that it was also wanted uh, by the citizens and by the people. It seems that leadership is very important and for Mary Hidalgo and for your party to, to say, these are our values, this is what we believe is right for the citizens, and we're going to stand by those values even in the face of opposition. Yes, because the Anne Hidalgo, uh, Paris Mayo, assumed her position uh, always and she said that you can't build a better city with more traffic if you want to have more breathable and more livable cities uh, you need to have less motorized traffic and bring more space to pedestrians to people who cycle so you need also to reshape the city to share the, the public space and to share also the roads that uh, were given just to the motorized traffic you know that there is a proverb that uh, some urban planners are using that if you build roads, you will have cars. And if you build bike lanes, then you will have uh, cyclists. So it was also 
the proof of if you are transforming a road that was just uh, used for the motorized traffic in something else, then you, you will have other habits and other uses. And that's what we are uh, seeing today with uh, dozens of uh, thousands of people who are uh, using this place uh, daily, even when it's cold. And especially uh, now we have a lot of people who are uh, just running and also cycling and commuting with this former highway uh, and coming from the suburbs to go to the inner city, uh, to the center of the city uh, by cycling. So uh, there is also a, a shift uh, from one model to another. And that is very interesting also to see that. Has the pandemic presented any particular obstacles to the transformations that you're doing, or has it provided any opportunities? Here in New York, for instance, you know, now we have all these outdoor dining. We've taken away a lot of street parking that for years businesses said, oh, you can never take away parking, right? It's because, oh, don't take away parking for a bike lane or a bus lane because we need the parking. Well, as soon as it became clear that you could only eat outside, suddenly it's okay to take away all the parking and put outdoor dining. So for us, that's been an opportunity to show people, look how different our streets could be. So has in Paris, has the pandemic caused any, any opportunities or any obstacles for the kind of work that you're doing? It can seem to be a paradox, but I think that it uh, mainly opened uh, doors, uh, new doors, and also opened the mind uh, to some people about, about the fact that we can also transform quickly the city to have a response also. The response was to give uh, social distancing from uh, uh, each other and uh, to have the opportunity also to give more public space to people. So this constraint was transformed in a new opportunity also to have these big changes. We built uh, in just in a few months, 50 kilometers of new pop-up bike lanes in the city. And we had an increase by 70% of the use of uh, the cycling in, in Paris. Uh, so it's a big result and a huge increase in just a few months, which was uh, just inimaginable a few months ago. Uh, we also transformed the, the parking spaces uh, and the curbs to uh, new terraces for the bars and the restaurants, also to, to enable them to have space outside for the social distancing also. It came possible with the pandemic. So I think this period also uh, changed a lot in the way of thinking also uh, the urban planning and the way we live in our cities because we know uh, that when we are uh, in a very dense uh, city, like New York City, for example, or Paris, uh, we need also to have more space. And where can you find the space? In the public space, so in the roads and in the sidewalks. So that's what we, uh, we did. And other cities and big metropolises like New York uh, City uh, did also. I've heard that one issue has emerged bike parking is I've heard is a little bit of a of a problem there that finding the space especially you know given so many of the buildings you know have very narrow stairways it's it's a big hardship for people to take bikes in and out of their 
apartments. And I've heard that, that it's gotten kind of competitive to find a place to put your bicycle. Is that, is that true? And, and do you have any plans to deal with that? Yes, it is because the increase of the traffic was faster than uh, the fact that we are building some new uh, parking spaces for the cyclists. So uh, we have also to, to try to give a response uh, about this need. Of course, we are trying also to build these uh, parking spaces um, in the safe uh, locations, uh, in the railway stations, for example, to enable also the people who are commuting to make it with uh, intermodality uh, between the mass transit and the public transport and their own bike or, for example, a, a shared bike from a bike sharing system. So uh, we have a plan of um, having 100,000 more parking spaces for bicycles for the next five years to have a, a response also to this need uh, of, of having um, more bicycles in, in the city. So uh, of course, uh, we need to, to adapt the city. And it's the same like uh, the problem with the cars. Uh, once you have the traffic, you need also a parking spaces. But one uh, bike, uh, is, it is just five uh, less uh, space uh, than a car. So in a one car parking, you can put five, maybe to 10 bikes. So it's not also the, the same space uh, needed. So cycling is more efficient in our point of view in a very dense city because it is less space uh, just for the for the people so uh, it is more efficient uh, and better also for for the city have you seen a change in the attitude of the citizens toward bicycling in particular i, I mean i don't i don't know how it is in paris but in new york historically there's been some hostility certainly from car drivers toward bicyclists, there's been some sense that this is not a serious form of transportation. Have you ever had those problems in, in Paris? And if so, has that attitude changed over the years? Yes, there are problems because it's a kind of uh, fight for uh, the space. For example, some documentaries like... Uh, Bikes versus cars showed also uh, the fact that uh, the automotive industry uh, invested a lot uh, to occupy uh, the, the space and the roads uh, that were uh, just uh, transformed for the motorized traffic. So what is given to cyclists is given by those who had formerly the monopoly uh, of the, the use of the public space and now they have to share it. So most of them, I would say, understand the fact that we need to share the public space and that we need to share the streets and the roads with other people and other ways of uh, traveling and commuting. But some have still uh, some problems with uh, the others and there are resistances. But I would say also that there is a, a cultural change and uh, also in, in the way of thinking and also in the behavior of uh, more and more people and what we see with the pandemic is that uh, people are giving up, unfortunately, uh, the mass transit and the public uh, transport system. But uh, uh, a significant part of the people are shifting to bicycle. So that is also interesting. And also to, to see that these people are young people. Uh, there, are, there is a, a significant part of uh, women. And I see that also in the streets in, uh, in Paris 
these uh, last uh, months, uh, I see more and more uh, women that are cycling. So it is very interesting also to see that um, the motorized traffic, which is mainly traffic for men uh, driving their car, and now you have also with the the share of the of the space and also with the fact that we are reshaping uh, the streets uh, you can see also more and more women that are investing the streets that were formerly using the public transport so you can have a, a balance now between men and women uh, in the streets and that is also very interesting to see that Yes, that is. And I'm wondering, have you been able to measure improvements in air quality and also perhaps in noise pollution? Yes, we, we have an improvement of the, the air quality every year in Paris now since five or six years. There is a strong relationship between the, the, the volume of the traffic and the air quality. The less you have traffic, the more you have a good air quality. Uh, it's a fact. So uh, we improved uh, the air quality. We, we had a drop of the air pollution, especially about uh, nitrogen dioxide, I think. And uh, with the pandemic and also with the lockdown, we saw during the first lockdown a big uh, drop in the, in the traffic and also in the, a big drop in the, in the air pollution. We had an improvement by 70% of the air quality uh, during the first lockdown because uh, there wasn't traffic. So... Uh, uh, we can see also the, the strong relation between uh, motorized traffic and air pollution. And the lockdown showed us also uh, uh, this, uh, this matter and this fact. So I guess my last question is for leaders in other cities who would like to make similar changes, do you have advice from your experience that that you think could be useful to leaders who who may be encountering opposition or a lack of vision on the part of their colleagues or the citizens of the city, how would you advise that people go forward? And why is it worth it? Why is it worth the struggle? It, it is worth uh, to have a, a, a better life. These changes uh, in the streets are also very important for, for the people. You know, with the pandemic, uh, we see more and more people that want to, to quit uh, the cities and to live in smaller cities or uh, in uh, rural parts of the country. So if we want also to, to keep the people in the big cities, we have also to improve their uh, quality of life. And you can't have uh, a better quality with uh, more traffic. That's not possible. So if you have the political will, then uh, the changes are possible. And if you assume also your position and your uh, political will, I think that it will be okay with the people uh, and they will uh, understand. Of course, maybe you, you have maybe to, to try to, um, to start with um, uh, some measures that are making consensus. Uh, but it, it will be also a demonstration of the fact that it is possible to change and to, to have less traffic, more space for pedestrians, for, uh, for cycling, and, and at last for people. So with these changes, you can also show and demonstrate that uh, another way of life and another quality of life is possible in the city. And then I think that you can get also the, the support of a majority of citizens. Of course, you won't have... 100% of people supporting you, but if you have the majority of uh, 50 or 60%, it is very uh, important. So um, 
we can make it if we have the political will. That's it for this episode of The War on Cars. If you like what you've heard, please pitch in a couple of dollars via Patreon. Go to thewaroncars.org and click on Become a Patreon Supporter. Help fund the war effort, and we will send you stickers and t-shirts, and you'll have access to bonus episode content available nowhere else. Special thanks to our top Patreon sponsors, Charlie G. of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, the Law Office of Vaccaro and White in New York, Drew Raines, and Virginia Baker. You can rate and review The War on Cars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and it really helps people find us. Want an official War on Cars t-shirt? You can get one at Cotton Bureau. And check out our bookshop.org store at bookshop.org slash shop slash War on Cars, where you can find titles by all the authors who've appeared on the podcast. We love hearing from our listeners. Email us at thewaroncars at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at thewaroncars. And don't forget, you can get 20% off the purchase of stylish Cleverhood rain gear for walking and biking by going to cleverhood.com slash waroncars. Enter code waroncars at checkout for your discount. This episode was edited by Ali Lemer. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D. I'm Sarah Goodyear. On behalf of my co-hosts Doug Gordon and Aaron Napperstack, this is The War on Cars. Or as they say in Paris, la guerre contre les voitures. <laughs>